Amen. So if uh, you were here last week, we talked about forgiveness. We kind of did the Forgiveness 1.0 sermon, and uh, this week it is Forgiveness 2.0. In honesty, we could probably go for forgiveness like 20.0. There's so much about this particular topic to delve into that in no way will uh, what I'm communicating this morning be accurate to Uh, portray all that is needed about this subject of forgiveness. But as we've been looking at the life of Jesus over a period of time, we have felt it essential to talk about this idea, because it's really, it's truly essential to the the gospel and of the kingdom that at the core, forgiveness is found. And so we have to be people who lean into and live out the forgiveness that Christ demonstrated for us. And so this morning, we're going to talk about forgiveness 2.0. But before... I kind of get into the subject. I thought I would let you in on a little. I've probably told you this in the past, but I thought it uh, worth telling again or mentioning again. Uh, I love to teach. I love being uh, someone who can communicate and uh, encourage and support and try to to take what I think God is communicating to me and to others and and to somehow deliver that in a way that... um, that causes us to want to change or to be different. But at the same time, while I say that I absolutely love it, I absolutely hate it in the same sense. The reason I hate it is not just because of like preparation and time it takes, but the reason I hate it is because the week that uh, I prepare, uh, God has this unique way of saying, oh, okay, you want to talk about that? Well, let's see how you can practice that either before you talk about it or after you talk about it. And so it, it, fa- it doesn't fail. Every single time I talk up front, I kid you not, either the week before or the week after, I have to in some way actually decide if I want to practice what I'm saying, right? Uh, so like, for example, if I was to speak, and it has happened before, if I'm to speak on God's provision and that we're to be people who trust regardless of the circumstances, I could probably bet you a significant amount of money that my 20-year-old car will break down, the tire will burst, something will happen that requires me to actually live out saying that I can't just say it on Sunday and then, um, you know, move on. Or if, uh, if, for instance, we talk about Sabbath and the importance of rest, it is a guarantee that that week will be the worst week and I will come to Friday, my day off, and I have to decide, do I really believe what I'm studying and what he's telling me or do I not, right? So it's just like continuous. That's why I say I love it and hate it all at the same time. Uh, So this past week, no exception. Uh, The person in my life that has been the bone of contention or the person I've had to forgive the most over the last couple years gave me another opportunity to forgive and so it was like oh awesome god i love that i really appreciate this opportunity um it got me thinking that uh i've I've asked the staff if next week i could speak on god's desire to give everyone wealth and good times all of the time and never any trials and yeah i need that and then just say okay god this week or next is it like let's live into this you know Um, But maybe for you, you had a similar week. We talked about forgiveness, and one of the things we said at the very end was if you 
are about to take communion and there is something between you and a brother or sister that it is our responsibility to, as the scriptures say, leave it at the altar and go and make it right. And so maybe this week you also had to practice forgiveness. You had to work through it again. We, like it kind of was regurgitated and you went, oh man, I need to deal with this thing. Uh, as I said last week, uh, everyone loves forgiveness until they have something to forgive. Right? C.S. Lewis made that so clear uh, in his teaching. Um, and so last week we talked about uh, really four essential truths about forgiveness. I just thought it would be important for us to rehash them really quick. Forgiveness is an action and not just a feeling. If we wait around for the moment in which we're going to feel like forgiving and be real excited about the opportunity to um, release that person or that debt, then uh, we might be waiting a long time. It's an action. Not only that, it's not dependent on the other person. We don't have to wait for their sincerity. We don't have to wait for their willingness to repent. All we have to simply do and our requirement or responsibility is to forgive. I also commented on the idea that forgiveness is a process. That even as we were looking at that particular passage, there's this unique sense that we have to work ourselves toward forgiveness. It's just not this overnight thing that you do one time and then you never have to do again. The text made it clear that you have to continue to forgive and continue. Even if the offense is the same, to continue to be in a state of forgiveness. And then the last thing we highlighted last week is that forgiveness is an act of faith. That it actually requires us to believe the truth of the Gospel, to lean into it, to live it out, and to say that I will enact forgiveness. That I choose to make this a decision. And I said last week that this week we would look at some of the practicals. And so we will. We're going to look at what to do with the wound, what to do with the offender, the person that has hurt you or wounded you in some way, and then what we're supposed to do with us, how we're supposed to handle ourselves in the midst of it. So if you have your Bible, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 18, we're going to take a little look at another one of Jesus' on the subject of forgiveness. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. There's this uh, little parable and a teaching of Jesus right at the beginning of that parable. And if you remember last week, we read the section of Scripture that said if your brother sins against you and uh, comes to you and says sorry, that, or says I repent, that you're supposed to forgive them seven times. And so Peter in another section says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Super awesome, Jesus. Thank you. So like he just raises the stakes. And then he goes right into a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of the pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So, pretty uh, challenging text. Jesus addressing this subject of forgiveness and giving us a parable to help us understand it a little bit better. The first idea that we said we wanted to look at this week is what do you do with the wound? At the very beginning, verse 27, it says this, that out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He released him and forgave him the debt. I want you, when you think of forgiveness, I want you to think of one word in particular, and that word is the word release. But whenever you think of forgiveness, think of release. The, the Greek word or the understanding in the New Testament for this word forgiveness is really release. It literally means to send away, to send forth, or to release whatever debt is present. It's a, it's a picture of letting go of something or of sending something away. Now, Jesus often uses word pictures. He takes these uh, ideas and then tries to boil it down into a picture that we might be able to grasp. And often Jesus uses the idea of debt. That if we're honest with ourselves, we would say that most times when someone does something to us and wounds us in a particular way, there is a deep sense in us that the wrongdoer now owes us. There's some like sense that there's a debt that has to be paid, that there's um, a wrong that is incurred that requires a liability, so to speak, that you now, in a sense, owe me. And so the first idea, really, of forgiveness is to release. It's to release the wound and let it go away. So take that wound that came, the hurt that you endured, and to send it away. In some ways, it's, it's choosing not to let the wound define you in your life. So often, that wound that occurred begins to become something that defines me. I orient my life around it. I keep thinking about it. When a new opportunity comes up, the wound comes up. When a, a different hurt comes, I reflect back on the wound that I had. So in a practical sense, releasing or forgiving is to not dwell on the incident, to let it go, to send it away. That when it circulates in your mind, I don't know if it's like this for you, but it's like the, the tape or the, the record kind of like keeps skipping and coming back to that same point, and it cycles again and again, and just when you feel like it's gone and you've dealt with it, like it comes back around again, it's in those moments that you put it aside, you release it. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about it anymore. Now, that doesn't instantly heal the wound. We all know that. 
but it's the first step in the process. Louis Smedes made this statement. He said, We attach our feelings to the moment when we were hurt, endowing it with immortality. And we let it assault us every time it comes to mind. It travels with us, sleeps with us, hovers over us while we make love, and broods over us while we die. Our hate does not even have the decency to die when those we hate die, for it is a parasite sucking our blood, not theirs. There is only one remedy for it, and he's speaking of this idea of forgiveness, to release it, to let it go. Now, as a, as a way of a side note, when you're releasing this debt, when you're releasing the wound, I think it's really important for us to be really specific with what the wound is or who incurred the wound, like who uh, was the offender in the situation. Because I think what that does is it helps us avoid excuses. A lot of times what happens is a wound comes, we make it so nebulous or amorphous that we don't really deal with the exact hurt, and then it's really, really difficult for us to release it because we don't know what it is we're releasing. For example, you'll hear people say at times, like, I'm really angry at the business I used to work for, or I'm really, uh, this one comes up a lot in my world, I really don't like the church. I'm angry at the church. Maybe you've heard that before from someone. The church hurt me. The church wounded me. Okay? Let me be really clear about this. You can't, and I'll explain why in a minute, you can't be angry at the church. You can't say, the church hurt me. Okay? Institutions, organizations, big masses of people don't hurt you. A specific person and a specific wound might have occurred in that place called the church, you cannot release it if you're saying the church hurt me as a whole. You have to be specific enough to say this could be a leader, this person, this individual, this specific wound, because then you now have the freedom to release it. So don't, don't use the excuse of the church as a whole. Don't use the excuse of your, your business you used to work for. Maybe it was your boss. Maybe it was a specific thing that you were let down by in your, the organization, but it came back to a person or a decision from a person and not just an organization. So think about it. When you're working through release, figure out who and what it is that you need to release. Hopefully that makes sense. The second thing. So one, we release the debt, but the second, we release, to release means to choose someone whom you've been holding in your debt and release them. It means to surrender them to God. It's releasing your right to insist on justice. It's releasing your ability to get even, to make them pay. It's choosing to let go and choosing to forgive. Uh, about two years ago, September of 2014, I gave a talk specifically on the idea of revenge. I'm not going to like, go over any of that on revenge except to say that revenge, as you know, never pays. All you're doing is recirculating the pain. So if someone wounds me and I wound back, it's going to come back again, and then you just keep exchanging, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? If you want to talk more or think more on revenge, go back to, I think, September of 2014 
and consider the subject of revenge. But the idea for us in the meantime, release, let go. Let the person go, let the wound go, release it. Now what do you do with them? So we talked about what do you do with the wound, and again, not all exhaustive. We could go for the rest of our time just about the wound. But what do you do with the offender? What do you do with the person that's hurt you? Okay, here's a couple things that have at least proved helpful for me. I'm not suggesting they will be helpful for every single person here, but for me, they've been helpful. Uh, Number one, uh, hurt people hurt people. Just a little reminder. It's important for us to remember that hurt people hurt people. If you look at the text, again, the, the text says this, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him and said, pay what you owe. And the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. And he refused, the text says, and sent him to prison. Now part of what you notice there is, one, the man was already forgiven, but even in the midst of being forgiven his debt, he still responded with a lack of forgiveness to the person who owed him. And part of why I think he did is because he himself was already hurting, right? He was wounded himself in some way. Uh, Maybe it was just insecurity. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was this sense of misery. Maybe he felt like, oh man, I could never repay this. And and maybe I'm, I'm just a poor individual because I'm in debt to someone now. And so then he turned around and he took that hurt of some sort and wounded someone else. Hurt people tend to hurt people. And and if you're anything like me at all, when you are hurt, what you want is to make them feel as miserable as you yourself feel. I'm assuming you feel miserable when you're hurt. And what you want at some level is to go, man, the hurt that I feel, I want you to feel that same pain. Or I want you to be as miserable as I am. Here's the truth. They are already miserable. They're already miserable. They're lonely. They're empty. They're insecure. And they likely hurt you out of those things. Right? They're already miserable. Their life is already at some level a mess. And they're just putting you into their mess. They're seeing, they're they're looking through a lens of pain and they're wanting you to also feel it, right? And, and we don't know why. It could be feelings of pride, their ego, insecurity, a wound that they receive that they can't get past, emotional, emotional stunting of some sort. I, we don't know why, but hurt people tend to hurt people. So don't look to respond with vengeance. Don't just release, because they're already miserable enough. You don't have to try to add to it in some particular way. The second thing I think is important for us to remember is that reconciliation takes two sides. Whenever we talk about forgiveness, I think it's important for us to recognize that the overarching goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. That's the goal. So we forgive with the hopes of being reconciled. That means restoring the relationship in some sense, getting back to a place of harmony, finding uh, like we can coexist in a really good space again. 
Uh, but, but make sure you hear this very clearly from me. Where there is forgiveness, there is not always reconciliation. Okay? Where there's forgiveness, don't confuse the two, you might have forgiveness and still be a long way away from reconciliation. They're not one and the same. Where there's forgiveness, there's not always reconciliation. And here's why. Forgiveness, first of all, requires only one party. We talked about this last week. You can forgive, and the other person never ask for it. You can forgive, and that person never admit wrong. You could forgive, and you never have closure on the situation. Because forgiveness is not dependent on the other person, it's dependent on you. So you can forgive, and not have reconciliation. See, reconciliation is different, and here's how it's different. Reconciliation always requires both sides to come to the table. So we're to seek it. We're to do our part. But in order for there to be reconciliation, the offender has to sincerely seek restoration. They have to admit fault. They have to seek forgiveness. They have to have true repentance. They have to honestly change behavior. Maybe you're in this place where you've sought it, you've done your part, you've forgiven, you want, you hope for, you believe in the biblical idea of reconciliation, and yet you're not there yet. Sometimes the hardest, most difficult cases of reconciliation have to do with the other party, the offender, being a one that maintains either innocence, staunchly stands in their pride, somehow pretends or acts as the victim and makes you the one that wounded them. All of those things make it absolutely difficult. And it might even make reconciliation at that point not possible. So remember, reconciliation requires both parties. Let me give you one final third idea on what we do with the offender. Uh, Boundaries are important. You have to establish boundaries. Reconciliation should be sought, but only as it is safe for everyone involved. Right? Reconciliation should be sought, but only as it's safe for everyone involved. So we, we forgive, we seek to be reconciled to bring the relationship back to harmony, but some situations are dangerous, some situations are harmful, they will hurt you even worse, they're unsafe. Right? There's a difference between being able to say, I forgive you, and being able to say, I trust you. Those two things are different. Okay? You can forgive and still be in a place where you don't yet trust. But it's not safe to. Reconciliation is a process. And I would also say trust building right, is a process. It's established over time. Uh, It it takes time to build it. It takes time to reveal it. Uh, So I'm going to just say my personal opinion here, and you can either like scratch this out later uh, and go, well, that's just Russ's opinion. Uh, Or you can do whatever you want with it. But here's my opinion. Until a person shows evidence of true change, we shouldn't trust him or her yet. Okay? Until they show true change. Trust isn't built on just words and no actions. Trust is not built on empty promises, but rather action, right? You you have to see it lived out in order for it to begin to be 
a safe place. Um, there's a proverb, an old proverb. You've probably heard it before. Uh, I remember in middle school, I used to quote it because I thought it was really cool. As a dog returns to its vomit, um, so a fool returns to its folly. Right? Um, it, it, really what that saying is, that if there's a person who has wounded you, if there's a person who continues to demonstrate pride and arrogance, continues a pattern of hurting, continues the same thing again and again and again, here's the truth. The dog will return to its vomit. They're going to keep doing it until true repentance happens. They're going to keep cycling back to it. Right? So you don't have to put yourself in a place where you receive another wound. You don't have to put yourself in a place that's unsafe. I would say protect yourself. Set boundaries. Now, you might want to talk with someone in your group about where those boundaries should be set. But by all means, set boundaries. If you have been hurt in some way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, abused in some way, set boundaries. Forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences, right? We have to be I have a true understanding of what forgiveness means. There might be consequences, but in the meantime, your responsibility is to protect yourself. Don't put yourself, do not participate in anything that threatens your well-being. Create a safe space. Maybe that means limit contact. Maybe that means create a space around you. Maybe that means defining certain things in the relationship or in the family. Um, Maybe if you're at Thanksgiving, don't talk about politics. I don't know. Maybe your family loves it. Most families don't. So don't bring it up, you know? Like just kind of draw the line and say, we're not going to talk about that, you know? Maybe you have to go further. Maybe just like don't talk about Jesus, you know? And you're like, what? Well, I mean, if, if their Jesus carries a gun permit and your Jesus is peaceful, right? maybe it's not going to help to talk. I mean, I kid a little bit. But set safe, simple boundaries, as well as the complex and the deep boundaries. If you know that every time you're with that person and certain thing comes up, that you know it's only a matter of time, and you can click your timer, it'll be about 30 seconds in, and they're going to say something that will hurt, and you'll remember it and keep repeating it in your head for the next month, don't go there. Don't go there. Right? End it. Say, no, we're, actually, we're not going to talk about it. Like, set some boundaries, right? Establish those. Establish that early. Let me also add this, that if, uh, if you have been in some way, and statistics would tell you it's true, if you've been abused in some way, physically, sexually, emotionally, and you sit in this space and you haven't in some way dealt with it, listen, we want you to come. Come talk to one of us on staff. Uh, come talk to an elder. Uh, let us help be a part of the process of dealing with, caring for, loving you in the midst of that hurt. Right? Don't, don't have it just be your issue. Don't hide it. Uh, deal with it. Deal with it. Which brings us to the third and final. What do you do? What do we do with us? How do we handle us? What do we do with the offense? What do we do with being wounded? Um, and there's a lot of different directions I could have gone with this, but I felt like at the core, what this parable is talking about um, is this idea of absorbing the pain. Forgiveness requires you to absorb the pain. 
doesn't sound fun. Maybe there's like a hush that's coming over all of us at this moment. Like, oh, oh great. Thanks. That figured everything out for us. In this parable, there's this like unique story set up, right? The servant has a debt forgiven. A significant debt forgiven. The servant then has an opportunity to release somebody else from a debt that's owed to them, and instead they demand repayment. And then the master summons them and says this, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. I absorbed it. I absorbed that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Should you not also absorb the debt? Should you not also say that the hurt stops with me? That I'm going to forgive it? That I'm going to release it, the wound? I'm going to release the person? I'm going to accept the debt? Really, forgiveness means that I I refuse to make them pay for it and instead I in some way absorb it. It's the very same thing that Christ did for all of us, right? That the cross is really a picture of Him absorbing debt, of Him taking on pain, of Him feeling loss, of Him feeling abandonment. All the things that you feel in the moment of woundedness, all the things you feel in in all of the surrounding pain that comes, that reverberates with that wound, that's the thing that Christ absorbed and asks us to, in some way, also absorb. Tim Keller says it this way, God's grace and forgiveness, while free to the recipient, are always costly for the giver. From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God could not forgive without sacrifice. No one who is seriously wrong can just forgive the perpetrator. But when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. All forgiveness then is costly. It's extremely costly. Emotionally costly, sometimes physically costly. And it can become wearisome. But it is a voluntary suffering. It's you choosing to accept it. It's you saying, I will take on the same posture that Jesus had and absorb the pain. And it's not just the pain of the wound, it's also the pain of letting go the opportunity to re-wound someone else. I mean, you have to, I think, think on it at several different levels. Uh, Some have even described forgiveness as a death. Tim Keller said to forgive is immensely painful. It's like a death, but a death that leads to resurrection. So why? Why would we do it? Why could we ever do it? Why would we ever want to absorb the pain in any sense of our imagination? And I think the answer is also found in this text, and that's because you and I are forgiven. The parable talks about Someone who owes 10,000 talents. Unable to be repaid in a lifetime. Impossible for him to get out of debt. If he worked for the fullest income he could imagine from that moment till the very end of his life, he still would not have paid off that debt. And the master says to him at that moment, I forgive you. I release you. I release you. I release the cost. I absorb the debt. It's over. 
Then the man, needing a hundred denarii, could be paid off in not very much time at all. Puts the person in jail, which basically, as the main provider for the family at that time, means that now his wife is enslaved and the children are enslaved and will most likely make very bad choices for the life that they lead in order to help repay the debt. The consequences ripple when there's a lack of forgiveness. We might think it's just on one person, but it just keeps going and going and going. And so in that moment, he chooses not to forgive. And what we're instructed or challenged to think through is this idea that we forgive as we've been forgiven. Christensen said this, to ask forgiveness from God as a great benefit and then to deny the same to others is to mock God. That's not very light, right? It's as if to mock God. And and the order of the whole parable is pretty significant. It's not like he went out and forgave a little debt and then wasn't forgiven a big debt. It's very clear in the text for all of us to see that a massive debt was forgiven and a small one wasn't. A very, very life-altering one was forgiven and a far less significant one wasn't. Now, I think the order is quite significant. A couple years ago, I remember I was sitting in a rocket bakery. I had just gotten done with a meeting. I was working, sending out emails afterwards, and uh, two individuals came and sat down at the table next to me. I was trying not to overhear the conversation, but uh, in the midst, the one started getting a little bit animated. And uh, apparently, what I picked up was, the question was asked, like, how is the situation with so-and-so? How have you been dealing with it? And for the next five minutes, I kid you not, it was, so-and-so did this, and then this, and then this, and I don't like him for this. And like, just blasting this person, tearing him apart, slandering, like, just, it just kept going and going. It was like venomous, the amount of communication about this particular individual, and I'm sitting there going, oh my word, like wow, somebody has to deal with something, right? Like there, there is a lot going on there. But I also know that not everybody comes from the same perspective. Not everybody understands that if you've been forgiven much, you should forgive much. The conversation switched shortly after that, and they started talking about tattoos they were about to get. Ah, interesting. The person who had just sprouted venom for five minutes about an individual, and I'm really excited, I've been thinking about this for a long time, what I really want to do is get a, a cross with the word redeemed. At that point, I almost stood up and said, <laughs> wow. Right? Right? But how often do we do the same? We might not get a tattoo of it. It might not seem so stark a contrast to talk about someone for five minutes and then revert to that. But maybe we do the exact same. Then I know I have this amazing debt that's been forgiven, and then I hold this little thing against someone, or I keep bringing it up, or I allow the wound to keep affecting me because I don't realize, or I don't come to the situation as if I'm the forgiven one. 
instead of the one who's giving forgiveness. If I enter every relationship as me being the forgiven one, it changes my perspective. Miroslav Volf said this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and myself from the community of sinners. It's so easy to pull ourselves out and to say we come from a place where we don't need that. Instead, we actually find ourselves in a place where we desperately need forgiveness. Not just from people around us, but from our Father in heaven. So my reminder to us this week is if you have a wound, release it and release the person. If there is an offender in your life, be reminded that hurt people hurt people. They are just as miserable as you feel at the moment. Instead, seek reconciliation, but understand that it takes two to do that. And while you do it, set some boundaries. Make sure you protect yourself in the midst of it. And last, I think the text reminds us that we're to, by the grace of God, absorb the pain. Absorb the debt, forgive it, and understand that in the midst of it, we've been forgiven. Let me wrap up our time by reading a quote from N.T. Wright that I think is quite significant. And as the worship band comes, maybe you can just reflect on this quote for a moment. It says this, As soon as someone in one of these Jesus cells refused to forgive a fellow member, he or she was saying, in effect, I don't really believe the kingdom has arrived. I don't think the forgiveness of sins has actually occurred. Failure to forgive one another wasn't a matter of failing to live up to a new bit of moral teaching. It was cutting off the branch you were sitting on. The only reason for being kingdom people, for being Jesus people, was that the forgiveness of sins was happening. So if you didn't live forgiveness, you were denying the very basis of your own existence. Let's pray.